Hey, everybody, it's Joe. Uh, before we get on to part two of the Herman Perry series, I have to do a little bit of housekeeping. Normally, whenever I use a source for the show, I both name it during the episodes I'm recording and put it in the show notes. This time, somehow, I only managed to do that, uh, like half that, and I put it in the show notes, and I did not mention it. It's my bad. Uh, it's a book called Now the Hell Will Start by Brendan Corner, and you should go check it out. It's a very good book. And now back to the show. And welcome back to Lines Up by Donkeys podcast, the podcast where I occasionally fuck up the intro. I'm Joe, and with me still is Jordan Holmes of Knowledge Fight. Hello, Jordan. <laughs> the laugh that introduces me before my voice does. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to join you again. Yeah, we certainly haven't tried to do this episode twice. Um, How yeah. dare you, sir? <laughs> I, w- I was recording the last part of a three-part series with my uh, with my normal co-host Liam, and we fucked it up like three times. At the point, we're like, you know what? Let's try again next week. We'll we'll come. We'll circle back around to this. <laughs> well, we've had we've had more than a couple of lost episodes, uh, so <laughs> where where I understand where you're coming from there. <laughs> I think my only truly lost episode, we did a premium episode on uh, Saving Private Ryan. And as soon as we got done recording, I took my laptop and I was like, I, I moved into my kitchen um, to work on, on something else. And I dumped a, a cup of coffee directly into it. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> killed it on the spot. That is absurd. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, homie. I'll always remember you. We, we ironically, our very first lost episode was the one that had Steve Pachenik saying, go home and tell your mother you're brilliant. So, <laughs> so one of the most important catchphrases in Knowledge Fight history didn't even get redone until like episode 300 and something. <laughs> yeah, the one that was specifically about Steve Pachenik, right? Purely about Steve. Yeah, it took us it another incredible. couple of hundred episodes <laughs> to get there. <laughs> whenever anybody brings up like when the tom clancy novels and i'm just like have you ever heard of steve pachanik <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get better oh man um uh, honestly like I-, I think i've said before on the show about how-, how much of a fan i am of knowledge fight but i have to say it's the worst podcast ever to listen to uh when you have to roll your windows down of like your car <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what are you doing, asshole? You listening to Alex Jones? No. Actually, sir, let me explain, and I'll start from the beginning. In about 2017, these two assholes from Chicago decided to do a podcast, and that podcast eventually turned out to be about Alex Jones. And the Alex Jones part of the podcast, it's it's actually about it. Why are you leaving? <laughs> Come back. I swear Come I'm back not crazy. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, speaking of podcasts, we're doing one, uh, we're on part two of the Herman Perry saga. Uh, and when, when we, when we left you last time, Herman Perry had been dragged off to serve in the segregated, very racist U S army, uh, circa world war two. And that was also the sound of my dog shaking. Thank you for that. Like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) fuck it. 
uh, third host of the show who occasionally randomly barks in the middle of recordings. Um, now, uh, he was shipped off to help build the Lido Road, uh, which is in one of the most inhospitable tracts of jungle that you could find yourself in India. Uh, now, once he got there, he already started off with malaria, which is never a good side. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, he was stuffed into what is what the book uh, graciously calls a, quote, rustic camp. Now, wow. That- <laughs> <laughs> you started an Airbnb. You know, yeah. he got the whole rustic vibe going. He really tried to make it work for him. I gotcha. It's just, it's just a white girl nailing up random pieces of wood to the wall. There's a surf shop. There's always a surf shop. <laughs> now, this goes on to be described as uh, as mostly badly built wooden huts on a hillside that were constantly flooded with a mixture that was simply described as goop. <laughs> 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 if you're using the word goop, you're not in a good space. No. That's for sure. This 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 camp is is sponsored by uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Every <laughs> every soldier has to shove a jade egg into their vagina. I would have preferred if they used the words Play-Doh. I know I know branding <laughs> is bad, but at least I could get the idea that if they put it on a comic strip, you know, it'd be cool. At least it'd be fun. At least it'd be fun. Also, uh, th- th- this whole area is infested with red ants um, and-, <laughs> and rats. It's just, this is fucking hell. It's just hell. Just sloshing up to your knees and goop with ants curling all over you. Like, <laughs> ask not what you can do, what you could do for your country, but how your country <laughs> can feed you to ants. Eventually, eventually, Frank Herbert will write a book about us. I guarantee it. <laughs> We'll be Duke Lido the second. There's little in the way of comfort or even basic sanitation in the area. Disease, of course, swept through the ranks and at one point nearly killed Perry again. Sure. Their work was with heavy machinery, which they had never used before. So you can guess how that started off as men half dead from heat stroke and internal parasites began working with bulldozers for the first time. I'm going to throw this out at you. I don't know a ton about military history, but I imagine so far that one of the more important parts of it is the fact that armies never like to prepare people for the war. Nah, you just play catch up. It's fine. On the job training. No, learn. (laughs) Soldiers would also have to scale cliffs and blow away chunks of the surrounding (laughs) mountains with dynamite. Another thing that they were not trained to do. Soldiers have to redo the movie Fitzcarraldo. <laughs> We're going to Fitzcarraldo the entire war effort through this fucking jungle. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was originally called the Hannibal, but now it's a Fitzcarraldo. We got it. <laughs> they, they were uh, joined by coolies, which is a, a word for local laborers. And since I'm not sure if that's offensive or not, I'm actually not going to use it again. Um, but I feel I, like it's offensive. I'm I just going like to go. It, I'm going to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I know there's some sort of anachronistic old-timey racist that's like saying that word all the time, so I don't trust it. Yeah, I mean, they were rented out to the U.S. Army by the British, so you can assume that baseline, they're very racist. Now, these local laborers worked side-by-side with the black soldiers, all overseen by their white supervisors who did no labor whatsoever. By February 28th, remember, Perry had got there in September. They'd finally gotten the road to stretch all the way to the Burmese border. And while that sounds impressive, that's 38 miles. Oh, <laughs> god damn. See, now... The whole I, thing's I, I, supposed I, to be done in three months. Here's what's, <laughs> here's what's fucking crazy. And this is what's gonna... This 
fucking fucks with my head. The Chinese built the Intercontinental Railroad in half that time and a million miles longer. It is ironic that they are in Burma and are unable to complete a road. <laughs> now, the goal was is by the end of May, there's supposed to be 100 miles of the 400 and something odd mile road done. And they were not even halfway there yet. And then they we're still living on a prayer, though. Yeah, of course. Uh, they're halfway <laughs> there. Uh, now, then the monsoon season started. Uh, a few, <laughs> which, oh boy. Uh, the few miles of finished road they had completed got churned into absolute shit by the rain. Mudslides took out their bulldozers and washed men away. Then if that wasn't bad enough, the Chinese army, which was operating out of India and into Burma, marched through with horses being their main mode of transportation. This ruined the road even more because it wasn't paved. It was just loose gravel, which then had become flooded. So horse hooves kind of fucked it up even worse. Oh, man. Just, just like pass. Just say pass. <laughs> I'm taking my road and I'm going home. I mean, let's try the. Uh, the, 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 the is it, we took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. That's what I'm <laughs> feeling right now. This is like a cartoonish level of failure going on right now. <laughs> Bugs Bunny pops up and Miller, like, hey, Doc, I have malaria. <laughs> it's. it's, it's Polio season. No, it's malaria season. No, it's polio season. Now, so much work was being undone, like every time it rained, that a colonel was being interviewed by a a Time magazine about the the, the road and was asked how it was going. And he said, quote, it's doing great. We only lost half a mile of road this month. (laughs) Was it in their their 30 under 30 uh, (laughs) section? Then if monsoons and horses wasn't bad enough, it got even hotter, breaking into the triple digits. The soldiers working in the line came up with a song, quote, long may you live. And when you die, you'll find hell cooler than the CBI. And CBI stands for China, Burma, India, uh, like the, the crossroads. There. Sure, sure. Oh, man. Then has, the rain has, started has any again. Military, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you, has any military ever just been like, fuck it, let's just build a town here? <laughs> Instead of building a road, we live here now. I mean, back in the day, like the, the, the early 17, 1800s, when like, they're like, all right, we're done campaigning for the season. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with the, with the advent of modern when like total warfare, it's like, no, we're just going to grind ourselves into shit forever. Amazing. So the rain started again. This forced men to live and work in a literal steam shower. (laughs) So humid and disgusting, it rotted their uniforms off of their backs as the days went on. Men worked for 16 hours a day, and their meals consisted of tin corned beef and unsanitary water, which sounds like some kind of new age cleanse. Yeah, if you want to get rid of Ebola, you eat that shit. That makes perfect sense. It'll kill everything in you and also yeah. outside of you and also you. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, Black Books? <laughs> there's, uh, there's a show by Dylan Morn, uh, who's a brilliant Irish comedian called Black Books. And at a certain point, he's just looking at oven cleaner and he's about to pour it in his mouth. And he just goes, if you can clean an oven, you can clean me. <laughs> it's like... Well, you know, there is an argument to be made there. You're not wrong, but also... (laughs) Well, there is a but also. That's the problem. 
Men were so hungry at the end of their days uh, at work, they started uh, like stalking the jungle looking for food and started eating frogs that they captured, which normally that isn't a problem. It's kind of gross. I don't like frog frog legs or anything like that. But this requires you to know what kind of frogs you could eat and what frogs you could not eat. These guys had no idea. Uh, So yeah, a lot of them died from poisonous frogs. You know, in their defense, like, at, at what point do you think, well, clearly this tiny little monster animal has hallucinogens in there? You know, you don't think that. Yeah, like, <laughs> like a I year and a half. cram this in my mouth. A year and a half ago, I was living in tenement housing in Washington, D.C. What time during this point was I supposed to get fucking frog education? Totally. Absolutely. Unfair. Now, then if things could not get worse, then when the men finally tried to sleep at night, they found the trees to be infested with monkeys that were shrieking at them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so we've tra- we've officially transitioned into a Miyazaki film. <laughs> now, also, uh, the leeches. There were... <laughs> Jesus Christ, there are so many leeches. <laughs> now, more than one man went out to take a dump in the jungle... Only to find out a leech had gotten stuck literally to his butthole. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. And, you know, uh, for the people who think that uh, nature is the self-evidence of God, it seems like they don't think that nature is the self-evidence of we should fucking get out of here. <laughs> have, have Nobody has stopped to consider the butthole leeches. <laughs> right. Uh, and. And then one officer wrote a letter home that honestly is the thing that horror stories are made out of. Quote, one night while sleeping, one of these leeches has gotten into the tube of a man's penis. When he awakened, it was swollen to the point he could not urinate and he was bleeding. Lieutenant Quinn finally managed uh, to or finally suggested making forceps shaped tools out of bamboo. It worked and we were able to get the leech out and pull it. <laughs> Dick leeches too. Yeah. I mean, that's a story of perseverance and ingenuity. If if I woke up to a leech crawling into the head of my dick, I would use the I would use the rifle that's nearest to me and shoot myself in the face. Oh, totally. Pass. I'm tapping Call out of life. This plane Call of existence is not for me. Every time somebody's been like, oh, what would you do in a zombie apocalypse? Shoot myself with a fucking face. Fuck this noise. I'm out. I would probably <laughs> die from one of these waterborne illnesses that all these guys are getting once my water stopped working. I think it's the height of ego to think that you would die better than half of the entire human race, right? We've all died of malaria. I, I would die as I lived, screaming and shitting blood. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so on top of all of this, everybody's infested with uh, with like body lice, and they're being swarmed by mosquitoes. This led to, from what I can tell, the highest amount of malaria contamination in U.S. military history. <laughs> well, somebody had to win. Nine hundred and fifty-five cases per one thousand men. <laughs> here that's just almost 100 percent malaria that's crazy who's the asshole who doesn't get malaria just looking around at everybody like oh this is the worst me Uh, you you act like you had malaria 
Now, like of the men that the men that survived their tour of duty said that they all at least had a dozen different dozen different cases of malarial fever. Um, now, if, and if you're wondering why didn't they get mal- anti-malarial drugs, well, they did. Uh, at this point of history, there was a drug called quinine, which was an, uh, a standard anti-malarial drug. However, it was made from a particular kind of tree bark from the Dutch East Indies and nowhere else, which, of course, at this point had been captured by the Japanese, thereby cutting off the support of tree bark from the Allies. So they had to rely on a synthetic version called adabrine. Um, which did not work at all. It would occasionally throw men into suicidal and homicidal bouts of psychosis. Their dicks sure, would sure. stop working and their skin would turn yellow. It was the best <laughs> salt of its day. <laughs> right. Adabrine is actually in the Florida water supply. Um, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. And like like I said, this did not work. Um, and and like statistically, if you did not get malaria, which you probably did, you'd get typhus. Um, now soldiers, soldiers had been given a vaccine for typhus, which was experimental. And this did work for, uh, uh, variants of typhus that we had in the United States. It was not effective against variants of typhus in India. Oh my God. Disease. Have you now, you're a military history guy, right? So I assume that. Most, if not all of your stories eventually wind up to like, most people died of disease. Yeah, it it, (laughs) it turns out up until like the 1990s, going camping in the woods with 10,000 of your friends was a bad idea. You just, yeah, you just fucking die, right? How does it, how did nobody think ahead? It's not the first time. They just don't care. It's not the first time that this has happened, man. I mean, humans are stupid. Like we've had to rediscover <laughs> washing our hands a couple of times. Uh, oh, the poor Ignat Semmelweis, man. <laughs> not man. To, not to mention, at one point, like during the Crimean War, people thought like food was giving people uh, like spreading disease rather than like not washing your hands or or ventilating hospitals and things like that. Sure. Uh, sure. Eh, or like we've discovered the cure for scurvy on more than one occasion. People are dumb. Um, yeah. and, mil- and military people are dumber than the outliers. I say that including myself. I like. Um, well, I mean, there is a certain amount of if you're one to solve problems with a gun. Yeah, <laughs> like I was uh, 17, and I voluntarily like I want to be in a tank, and the army's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> that is, that does when you put it like that, it doesn't sound reasonable at all. Yeah, it turns out you shouldn't allow 17-year-olds to make that decision. Um, right. Now, let's say, perhaps, you were not one of the people who got sick. Though you probably were and you just didn't die. Enter the tigers. I haven't <laughs> mentioned the tigers. There's a lot of tigers, Jordan. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. Now, specifically during monsoon season, like the heavy rains would force these big cats to leave their flooded jungle homes and move closer to dry ground, which also happened to be the same thing that soldiers did. So more than a few people went missing in the middle of the night <laughs> from a, a, assumed tiger attack. That's not, that's not okay. Like it's this, not funny. It's not funny to be in a foreign country with all your buddies and then just suddenly be ripped away by a tiger. There's nothing funny about that. That is not a funny thing. Counterpoint. But it's very scary. Counterpoint, Jordan. It's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) What happened to Terry? Man, 
you don't Tiger. Even want to fucking know. Like this happens so often that like the we have diaries from the the white officers in control of these units, and they mention soldiers being killed by tigers in such a boring way. It had to happen quite frequently. Like one American colonel wrote, "Tiger killed a soldier yesterday." That was it. <laughs> and then the it's, next it's day, not quite Francis Scott Kilvair's diary. I can't <laughs> And then the next day, his diary noted, next night, badly mauled another soldier, and then it killed a native. Holy shit. <laughs> this is like a nightly occurrence. Is this, is this the Moby Dick of tigers? <laughs> the great striped whale. <laughs> Absolutely. Once more, every night, I dream of finally defeating this tiger. Yeah, and, and I no longer have any desire for war. <laughs> Only one death will satisfy me. And then soldiers had to be like tasked out at night to be like a roving armed guard to fight off the tiger scourge. And all of this death uh, isn't even counting all of the accidents, which were constant and normally fatal, on top of being ambushed. Because remember, they're still fighting a war in the middle of all of this. The Japanese had scouts in the jungles and would occasionally shoot at the construction workers. Um, And though eventually there would be like people would be riding shotgun in the bulldozers and stuff to make sure you could shoot back. Uh, Then the Japanese began bombing them from the air. So on top of like dying from malaria and typhus and occasionally having to fight off a fucking tiger, the sky would eventually rain bombs. Sure, sure. And at no point in time did anybody just go like, what are we doing here, guys? <laughs> guys, I feel I like mean, we, we fucked up somewhere. <laughs> let's, let's really stop. Let's take a step back. <laughs> let's evaluate our choices up to this point. <laughs> you you go into General Stilwell's office, it's just a tiger sitting there in uniform, like, no, please continue. <laughs> yeah, this is going great for us. Essentially, essentially, you're telling the story of Tailspin. This is the origin story <laughs> of Sher Khan. <laughs> <laughs> now, it... it if it, all of this is starting to seem like the road is doomed to fail or like Churchill said, be completed and then be totally useless, you're right. And you're not alone in thinking that. By now, even FDR was agreeing with you. It had been five months and even Chiang Kai-shek was like, all right, but what if instead of using this road, you just airlifted me supplies? Because this road is fucking stupid. Hey, listen. This con has lasted as long as it's going to last. <laughs> <laughs> now all I- of you- all of my trucks full of money are being driven by tigers now. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Americans agreed with Shek and FDR was about to kill the whole road project when it was rescued at the last moment by General Stilwell and some very high up friends within the War Department. It seemed uh, because if the road stopped and failed, it would make Stilwell look bad. And he already had quite a bit of baggage. Like a lot of the U.S.'s failure in Burma was blamed rightly or wrongly on him. And with the added fact that FDR, FDR personally disliked him. So he thought if the road failed, he would find his ass back in the U.S. and out of a job. Right. right, right. Uh, he was which, probably right. Probably, yeah, probably. I mean, he probably would get stashed in some training base somewhere. Um, You know, I'm really starting to think that one of the big problems with a lot of uh, administrative decision making is the desire to avoid responsibility in order to avoid consequences for one's mistakes or failure. As someone that was a government employee until my mid-20s, I agree with you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Seems like the incentives are really out of whack. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
Now, uh, he, so he was getting worried, not to mention this is also personal for him. Like, like I said, he got his ass kicked in Burma. So Burma became to him what like the Philippines were to General Douglas MacArthur, minus yeah. the American colony part. Uh, right. Yeah. The road was such a fuck up that even in the American press, which remember was in the middle of wartime restrictions, openly shit talked the road and the government's like, yeah, whatever. We don't give a shit. We'll give you this one. Yeah, we fucked up. <laughs> Listen, we fucking love censoring people, but Jesus Christ, this was a shitty road. <laughs> <laughs> However, as the road became no longer important, while not being canceled, it, it meant less and less supplies were being sent for the construction, like replacement parts for vehicles, which were breaking down continuously. And this forced soldiers like Perry to learn how to rig shit together, like radiators and, and actual functioning radios out of Apple boxes and disca- discarded bits of wire, um, which worked somehow. I honestly have no idea. Um, how? I mean, that's amazing. That is uh, amazing. I barely know how to change my the own my own oil, and this guy's inventing radios out of fucking like MacGyver shit in the middle of the jungle while dying of malaria. I'm I'm pretty stoked that you think being able to change your own oil is nothing to scoff at. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, this but no amount of MacGyvering shit was enough. Obviously, you can't replace all of this shit. So things were eventually reverted right back to the way Chiang Kai Shek originally did them, or uh, originally did them, and that is working by hand, which meant things slowed down even more and became even worse. Oh um, my god. Officers attempted to ease this problem, not because they were worried about their soldiers, but because, you know, as the road stopped being completed, it hurt their careers as well. So they spent their own money buying horses, donkeys, and even elephants to use as draft animals. However, they ran into a problem because the Chinese soldiers of Chiang Kai-shek's army were still using this road to go into Burma and go to war. And they would either steal these animals for themselves or shoot them out of boredom. Um, I thought it was because Hannibal controlled the spirits of all war elephants. Yeah, they immediately just turned, I don't know, south and or <laughs> head towards Rome. <laughs> we must invade Italy. All war elephants are invaded by the spirit of the fight of Carthage. <laughs> All of them live to only salt Carthage. <laughs> now, these supply problems eventually involved everything, not just from like bulldozers, but down to things that soldiers needed to assembly exist, like food, razors, and even their pay. So, of course, this led to rampant theft and a thriving black market, which pretty much exists, from my experience, everywhere soldiers exist. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're natural-born hustlers because we don't get paid all that much. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and, I mean, when your institutional leadership is essentially of the opinion that your job is to live or die and the die part is uh, less optional than others, what's the point of food? I totally get it. Yeah, I like Perry, for example, his hustle was stealing beer out of the back of transport trucks and then selling it to officers. They're like, hey, I had... what's it? that's Al Capone. What's the difference there? Yeah, <laughs> I also assume Perry didn't pay taxes. So they're, they're virtually the same. I Hey, listen, I'm working on it. He said not publicly. <laughs> the, the Perry's like, what? I, I thought taxes were getting taken out of this. Is he gets paid in a, like a ten ninety nine for for selling black market beer? Yeah. What did what did a W two look like in nineteen forty three? Now, uh, like so many soldiers were stealing shit from these trucks that by the time they'd show up to their destinations, most of the time they were empty. 
which is a level of soldiering I cannot support enough. You know, um, <laughs> there's also a ton of weed floating around. It was grown by the local Naga people, which they uh, used and then sold to the soldiers. It's more of a barter system. They didn't need money. Uh, sure. So, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. They would trade cans of beef uh, or rations, sea, ra- sea rations for grips of weed and then spend their days getting high as hell because, you know, not being high in this area sounds pretty fucking miserable. I mean, not being high now sounds pretty fucking miserable. Yeah, I agree. It's like crazy. What would what is it like to be? I want like ten million diaries from the Naga people of what is it like to be like? Okay, here's what we've got. We can fuck these people up, and they can feed us. What kind of world must that be for somebody who hasn't even had an interaction with a, a fucking tank in their life before? That's oh, it crazy. Gets, it gets weirder. Um, so the, like, like I said before, the black people and, uh, the, the black soldiers and the, na- the native people were working side by side, uh, as laborers. So eventually black soldiers began to pick up the local language. So they can make small talk with these guys. Um, and the white people didn't learn anything because they considered the natives, whether they be Burmese, Chinese, Naga, Indian, whatever, to be even below the black people in their own minds. Like, yeah, stay away from me. Like they, they, sure. like they, they didn't, yeah, 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 totally. Which is like even a level of racism the British didn't quite do. Like the British would at least try to learn the local languages most of the time to help administer well, them. I mean, the better to oppress you with. Of course. <laughs> of course. They weren't so racist as to think like the learning a language is below me. Though I'm, I'm sure that's in this specific area, I should say. Right, right, right. And let's, I mean, hey, how about throw this out there? Perry, he's been in this fucking jungle for how long? Uh, it's been like six or seven months now. Six or seven months, right? This dude has to learn whatever local language is necessary to get some... Uh, he's trying to fuck. You know, yeah. like, I'm learning French. Like, it happened. Yeah, I'm I'm still trying to learn Armenian. It's fucking hard, and I'm Armenian. <laughs> it's going to take some time, but you'll get there. Now, <laughs> probably one of the weirdest exchanges going on on the road was between the army and the Nagas as an institution. Now, the Nagas didn't work construction. They're like, nah, that's not what we do. They did, however, sell the army livestock and food, which the army would then you know use to feed their soldiers. They didn't want to live just on rations. Sure. However, paper money was useless to the Nagas. They didn't have a paper money economy. They worked in bartering. So... <laughs> yeah. The army, or the army was told by the British, like, you know, the only way to get Nagas to work for you is to give them drugs. So the army, the U.S. Army brought a fuck ton of opium from the British and then gave it in exchange to the Nagas for meat. <laughs> why, why, is, why, are, uh, why are good ideas only ever executed out of desperation? <laughs> so this led to a scene of a U.S. Army military police standing armed guard over entire foot lockers of opium to make sure none of their soldiers stole it so they could give it out to the locals. Sure, sure. Were they wearing, were they wearing referees outfits? <laughs> All right, that's a foot locker joke. Come on now. <laughs> now, the Nagas were armed with something called Dows, which were like a machete sword combo. I don't know. Uh, and they would... Wear very little clothes, armed with a dow, and hitchhike in army trucks into warp camps and trade meat for like handfuls of opium before disappearing back into the jungle. <laughs> Which That's is a is a lifestyle thing I can support. I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> 
Now, with everything that I've explained in the last, like, I don't know, hour and a half of podcast, it shouldn't shock you when I say Herman Perry really fucking hated the army at this point. Um, at one day on October oh, yeah. 4th, he was forced to work an extra hour after already working 16. He refused and was immediately arrested and subjected to a special court martial. Uh, he was convicted within 24 hours of his arrest and confined for with hard labor as punishment for three months, as well as being uh, an additional part of his forfeiture of being or additional part of his punishment being forfeiture of $30 of his $60 monthly pay every month during his confinement. All so, right. But, yeah. So essentially, like his regular job was hard labor. So really, they're just cutting his salary in half. Yeah, and also it seems like the the prison was even worse. Um, like conditions were even worse. Uh, he had no time totally. off. But I mean, we have to judge relatively speaking. You're already in a tiger infested malaria fuck town, so <laughs> it's like. Oh my god, no, I have to live in a prison. I, and frankly, at least I'm not getting eaten by a goddamn tiger. That's true, the tigers <laughs> couldn't the get any stockade. The real problem is yeah. the salary issue. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the stockade was so bad, it made their normal workday seem easy in comparison. Um, get the fuck out of here! Where did you get evil like that? <laughs> So he was locked in the Lido stockade, uh, a place so horrible, uh, according to the U.S. Army, it was reserved only for Japanese POWs and black American soldiers. And just to give you a vibe of this place, it was commanded by an American officer who had a direct commission after helping run the Georgia State chain gangs. God, God damn it. Yep. God damn it. Every American Whoa. soldier in there was just like Perry, a black man who had told their officer to shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, and, you know, Japanese POWs were in a separate part of the camp. They, they obviously weren't allowed to interact. But from sunup to sundown, he was forced to do backbreaking labor. Any deviation from stockade rules would land you with more work and sometimes even more time on your sentence. This included rules like no swearing, wearing your hat while you're eating, reading, sitting down without asking, uh, and like talking, <laughs> Jesus! And, like th- this is this is why I'm frustrated with whenever Republicans pull off like this like critical race theory thing. Like whenever they put a name to it, why can't we just call it like regular ass American history? Because that's all atrocity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, here's what we're gonna teach you: regular ass American history. It starts with fucking over black people. And it ends today with fucking over black people. Welcome to America. I think it's because that we're, we're, well, we're not mistaking. We understand that they don't want an education system. They want an indoctrination program. <laughs> well, it's a lot better for your job security. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, yeah, if you violated any of these rules, by the way, you're thrown in something called the box, uh, which was solitary confinement, but it was literally a concrete box that sat out in the middle of the field to bake in the sun, and you'd have to sit in it. It was actually, this was a common punishment in military stockades, but the Lido box was so small that the Army's judge uh, or judge advocate corps, uh, which is like their lawyers, had to say, whoa, that, that's too small. That's inhumane. So their inhumane punishment was considered inhumane by arm by the army's already inhumane regulations. I I mean, wh- why imagine a bottom? And <laughs> we are just it, 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 it's like 
when when a man said, "Why go to space?" You know, they said, "Cause it's there," and it's like, "Why find new war crimes to commit?" And it's like, "Cause what? What are we bored? Come on!" Now, now, Jordan, they're Rude. not war crimes because they won. <laughs> wow. <laughs> owned with with ICC and ICJ logic. Um, now, Perry ended up staying in the stockade for a full 18 days longer than he was supposed to. And by the time he got out, by all accounts, he was incredibly depressed and thinking about revenge on the guards that he called Peckerwoods, which, yeah, <laughs> that tracks. That is the ultimate insult of the time. That has to be. And what, what, something ironic is in like modern day American prison culture, Peckerwoods is like a subsect of Nazis. Which again fits, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wild. Now, by the time he got back to the construction crew, a new command had taken over, led by a guy named Colonel Lewis Pick, uh, who was somehow even worse than the last guy. He ordered crews to work around the clock, including at night. And when obviously, you know, seeing at night is a problem. Even though, remember, there's a subsect of the American military that believes black people can see in the dark. Um, he uh, he lit the entire road with hanging buckets of burning oil, which really seems like a guide of starting up a, a really bad fire, or at least a how-to uh, step-by-step process how to melt your soldiers. Uh, but all right, this is an important moment for me right here. Okay, so we've already got the foreshadowing. We know Herman Perry is going to murder an officer, and by right. murder, I'm, I'm I'm honestly he's going to self-defense the world from an officer. Right? <laughs> yeah. I feel <laughs> comfortable saying I, that. Yeah. I really need you to tell me it's this guy. I wish I could. Um, it's actually, <gasps> a, it's actually a guy who's worse. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, well, that's, that's a joke. That's not possible. Uh, oh now, boy. Here we go. At this point, the road is only 22% done, and Perry had been there like six months. Um, and Perry wasn't going to be a soldier anymore. This is a decision. He's like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. And he told anybody who would listen, he's fucking done. He's like, you've broken me. I- I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, and I'm throw I, this out. Bad move. Keep that to yourself. Wait until nobody's paying attention. Yeah. And That's I'm gonna- my advice to a guy who's been dead for probably 70 years. And I can I can attest that not wanting to work in the army does not, in fact, grant you freedom from the army. Um, it's unfortunate, but true. So Perry eventually decided to start trading the Naga for some of their opium in order to, like, you know, escape it all. Yeah, the army couldn't bother you much if you're chasing the dragon. So, Hell yeah. Uh, but in order to get those drugs, he had to break even more rules by sneaking out of camp and going out into the jungle to hang out with the Nagas. <laughs> Normally, this was an absolutely insane idea. The Nagas traded with the military and and black soldiers, but they did not mean they were friendly. Uh, There was more than one soldier who turned up in a Naga camp, most of the time trying to proposition their women for sex, and the army would find their beheaded bodies on the side of the road. Like, that that was not unheard of. Um, okay, so we're in we're in a West Side Story situation, is what you're describing. <laughs> yeah, he actually communicated by slowly stomping through the jungles, doing this. Yeah, <laughs> it's tougher to dance fight in mud. That is true. <laughs> now, for for reasons that nobody's entirely sure of, the Nagas seem to be cool with him. Um, now, there 
they uh they at least He's enough fucking hot man that's the lesson <laughs> of this story this dude is fucking hot be hot and charming and get opium from your jungle friends uh, so he went out into the jungle and bartered them for uh, for rations. Uh, I think there was a report that he gave them a gun at one point, um, but that doesn't seem to actually be true um, because I don't know where he would have gotten it. But um, yeah, that's the, the kind of shit that they tell they tell people for lies. Yeah, yeah, to say like, look at him, he was arming the natives. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. That's that's that kind of shit for sure. And after getting his opium, he would smoke the opium with him and then uh, make his way back onto base before his work shift started. Now, as anybody who's ever dabbled in opiates could tell you, they don't exactly make you full of energy or ready to work. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if I can relate to this man more than right now when he's going to opium and then right to work the next day. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he, he, he slept through his alarm a bit, uh, and it didn't help that while he thought he was being sly, like, they'll never find me out in the middle of the jungle, fucking everybody noticed he was gone. And, and because of, again, opium, he thought he was only gone for a full, like, hour or two, but he had actually been gone for a day and a half. <laughs> He's got a full beard. <laughs> I was gone an hour, guys. What's everybody talking about? So as soon as he showed back up, his commander's like, hey, someone arrest that guy. Uh, but also everybody knew that Perry's attitude was like, I'm fucking done with you guys. Uh, everybody believed that if they tried to arrest him, shit would go sideways. Despite the fact right, he'd right. never been violent. A classic, classic fuck around and find out situation. Yeah. Uh, and people weren't really like, there's a, there's a certain subsect of officers and, and, and non-commissioned officers within the army. If they're like, hey, go do this. And you're like, no. They don't really know how to deal with that, um, which, you know, I don't write. If you're in the military and you're listening to this, I do not re- recommend finding out if your like, direct supervisor is one of those people or not. <laughs> this is my little career tip. Listen, roll them bones if that's what you want to do. <laughs> there, there is an old saying in the military, do what your rank can afford. And if you're listening to this show, I'm assuming it's not very much uh, mm, because officers probably won't put up with my bullshit. Um, uh, other than my producer, who was a captain. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah. Oh man. Now, um, so they wanted to arrest this guy, but like, oh, we're not really sure to do this. So the commander got a few people to come with him in case things went sideways. And the command, so the commander walked up to Perry while he was in line to get breakfast, uh, and was like, "Perry, come to my office." And Perry looked at him, kind of like gave him side eye, and was like, "Wait until I eat." <laughs> <laughs> And the commander was like, fuck, okay, I'll, I'll wait for him to eat. So there was like a group, like a captain and a few non-commissioned officers standing around impatiently as this guy still probably fucked up from opium was trying to eat his breakfast. Uh, <laughs> uh, and what some of the guys that came was a few non-commissioned officers and a young lieutenant named Harold Caddy. Now, Caddy had a reputation. He was a massive asshole. He was a racist. And when like other soldiers point out that Caddy was a racist... That means he was racist in comparison to the other white officers. Right, right, right. right. It's, it's a it, lot. It's, it's newsworthy that he's racist. Like yeah. racism is a baseline function of the world. It's he's so racist that like we have to tell people right. this is unusual. <laughs> okay. He was he was just considered an all around piece of shit. 
Uh, and previously, he had been reprimanded by a guy named Colonel Hyatt, who had since replaced Colonel Pick. Um, Colonel Hyatt re- uh, reprimanded him for hitting soldiers, which was against the rules, but rarely enforced when it came to the white uh, officers, black soldiers dynamic. But Colonel Hyatt sure. was like, what the fuck are you doing? So he had been yeah, reprimanded again, for being remember, violent. You remember the we're fighting a war part against not us. Yeah. Now, Perry was questioned, and rather than deny anything or have an excuse, he simply pretended not to speak English, which, sh- sure. <laughs> no. Oh, sir, sir, sir. Now, <laughs> uh, at, at this point, his captain was like, all right, fine, whatever. And he ordered him to turn in his rifle and report to the guardhouse, which is where the military police were. To Perry, this meant that eventually these MPs were going to bring him back to the stockade, which he was destined to never go back. Um when someone uh, said that he knew what to expect when he got to the guardhouse, Perry's like, that said, quote, that's what you think. <laughs> now, this is what we call foreshadowing. <laughs> no, nobody can accuse uh, Herman Perry of keeping anything that was about to happen secret. I will say that. <laughs> Now, to Perry, the idea of spending three more months in that stockade was completely unthinkable. His previous time in the stockade was easily the worst time in his life and had permanently changed him. Seeing this fear in Perry's eyes, which someone notes that he looked like like an an animal with a spotlight put on him. Somewhat incredibly, their non-commissioned officers allowed him to return to his tent to grab his weapon and ammunition to turn it in without an escort to make sure things didn't get weird. All right, that's on you. Whatever happens yeah. from there, that's on you. You've you have absolved yourself of any defense whatsoever. Now, that's, one of, that, fucking come on, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one of the reasons for this is the non-commissioned officers in the unit were mostly black men. Um, like, uh, and they want they're like maybe Perry will just walk it off and blow off the steam or whatever. Like, they didn't want him to get in more trouble. Because they knew that the white officers would hammer him. So, like, you know, we'll give Perry some space. Uh, Then a guy named Sergeant Stitt, one of the the black NCOs, met up with him at the supply tent where he's supposed to turn his weapon in. And Stitt said, quote, Perry is here to turn in his weapon. To which Perry said, quote, me? I'm not turning in my rifle. I'll go and die and go to hell before I go back to the guardhouse. (laughs) Again, this is a hint. Then Perry underlined this by cocking his rifle and storming out of the office. Now, Sergeant Stitt was armed, but was hoping to talk Perry down. Like he, He's like, okay, only we've seen this. The white guys haven't seen it yet. We might be able to still like make sure some... Because like if, if this happens, Perry's going to face some pretty serious fucking shit. Yeah, well, I mean, what are you going to talk down a RoboCop? This shit is happening, <laughs> man. <laughs> Like, but like they knew if like this got out, Perry was well and truly fucked. Uh, another NCO named Sergeant Gobold saw not the same thing. Uh, he th- he saw things were completely out of hand and worried Perry was going to go kill someone, namely Colonel Hyatt. Uh, so he ran and told their commanding officer, Captain uh, Carapico, what was happening. Snitch, hate yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help at this point that Perry was so disillusioned with the army that he started calling his black NCOs Peckerwoods as well. Like considering that they're on the like they're like on the side of the white officers, so like he, Ouch. yeah, 
Now, Perry caught a ride back because like the stockade is separate from his camp and uh, separate from where Colonel Hyatt is staying. So he caught a ride in a passing dump truck whose driver had no idea what was going on and gave him a lift. Like it's not uh, the ordinary to see a soldier who's armed, right? Like, oh, yeah, sure. sure. You need a ride. Lieutenant Caddy, who was in the office when Sergeant Gobold had come and reported him, jumped in a Jeep and gave chase, eventually stopping the trunk, the truck Perry was in. He then got out of his Jeep and began to yell at him to get out of the truck and get in his Jeep. Perry refused, saying <laughs> he was going to. Perry refused and is like, fuck you. I'm going to go talk to Colonel Hyatt. And every, now, officers at this point is like, he means he's going to go shoot the Colonel. Like, that's what he means, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, that's probably not why. Uh, the, their idea is that he was going to go kill the colonel, but Hyatt was known for being much nicer than his subordinate officers. Now, his support, his subordinate officers like Caddy punished soldiers brutally without his orders to do so. And Perry had been told previously by his non-commissioned officers that if something happened, report like his racist subordinates, like people like Lieutenant Gaddy beating up soldiers, report them to the colonel. Like the colonel might not make them go away, uh, but he might intervene to get someone out of trouble, like uh, make their punishment not as bad, like get Perry out of prison effectively. Okay. So then what you're saying to me is that everybody knows that the colonel is giving somewhat tacit permission for the abuse. But yes. if the abuse is brought to him with a certain amount of context that he deems uh, worthy, then he'll kind of intervene on your behalf. You pretty much just described the officer to enlisted man dynamic in general. But yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm glad that I have suddenly understood all of military history. Yeah, it only took much. one podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's always like, oh, well, the general's a good man. Like, yeah, but look what he's overseeing. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's a sure, lot of. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. You know, um, so he probably was not going to shoot the colonel. He was probably going to go and be like, look, man, I can't go back to fucking prison. I'll do whatever else. You know why he needed a loaded gun to do that? Yeah, that's iffy. But whatever. You know, you do. you. I, I mean, I, listen, if you're if you're a black man at this time in the military talking to this dude, you bring a gun to make sure that you're listened to. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he's wrong. Also, it's important to re- it's also important to remember he's about 20 years old and full of opium. So like <laughs> Jesus Christ. So like, he's Yeah, he's not making a lot of great life choices at the moment. His, his thinking process is deeply fucked. I'm not saying he's wrong. Like like I said, uh, now, Caddy refused to allow him to leave, getting out of the Jeep and walking towards Perry, who's holding his rifle at his side at this point. He's not pointing the rifle at, at Caddy. He Perry warned him, like, stay the fuck away from me. Don't come near me. Uh, now, this whole time, Caddy is walking towards him, threatening him, saying he's going to kill him, saying he's going to be get thrown in prison, saying he's going to watch him swing from a branch. Um, and right, just at- regular small talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- definitely how you talk down an armed person. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At this point, according to the eyewitness, this being the man who drove the truck, uh, Caddy reached out and grabbed the gun by the barrel, uh, which led to Perry raising it up at uh, about waist height and shooting him twice in the chest. Uh, Caddy, I mean, you, yeah. listen, you you get what you you get what you earn, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you I mean, make I'm, your life choices. You receive the consequences for those choices. 
And what what's interesting is that we'll talk about the case in a little bit, but like virtually everybody who over who looked over the case fails like man is like man, Caddy fucked up. He should not have done that. <laughs> Harry panicked, knowing that he was definitely fucked now, and jumped off the side of the road, running off into the jungle where he knew the army probably wouldn't follow him. Meanwhile, uh, Carapico and the MPs. Uh, uh, or Carapico ran to the MP station telling them what had happened, saying that Perry had killed Caddy. And this was not the first case of murder in this unit. In fact, it happened so often, people joked about jungle madness and shit like that. There had been stabbings, <laughs> shootings, and more than one case of sexual assault, all of which sure. remained mostly uns- unsolved and even uninvestigated. The MPs did not give a fuck. They were mostly, uh, like, in the book, they're described as directing traffic and arresting drunk soldiers for driving that's virtually right 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 but i mean isn't that the like you do this show like isn't that the story over and over and over again is how willing people are to overlook fucking anything so long as they obtain the goal of fighting a weird ass war yeah pretty much yeah they're willing to overlook an awful lot yeah i just they're just like hey listen as long as it doesn't get in the way of us fighting this fucking war you know, you can't be too drunk. You there's can another, kill your buddy, but... You know, <laughs> there's another dynamic at play here, which makes it even worse, is that this is mostly soldier-on-soldier violence, which means black men killing other black men. Oh, my God. Of this course. was a black man killing a white officer. So, in the eye... In the eyes of the, of the eyes of the army, Herman Perry was now the, the biggest inner service fugitive in the entire United States Army. They dropped all of their investigations to focus on Perry, and they got pissed pretty much immediately when they went to go question Perry's uh, fellow soldiers who knew him, and every single one of them refused to fucking say shit. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. No, the FBI heard about Fred Hampton, and they were like, let's get rid of every other investigation we've ever had. Yeah, let's pretty much. let's take care of Fred fucking Hampton. Yeah, let's, uh, yeah. let's go hire the cops to kill that guy. Um, <laughs> now, uh, it's because now it's not because that he killed a white guy, most likely. It's probably because he killed Lieutenant Caddy, who they're all like, that motherfucker deserved it. Everybody knew about him, like, nah, nah, that's fine. I don't see that as being illegal. <laughs> now, officers in the unit blamed uh, the murder on Perry's apparent crippling addiction to marijuana, which is a, a pretty popular oh, yeah, belief. No, of the day. Totally. I listen, I, I've smoked for years, and obviously every military officer I've come across gone yeah that's so, why I that's why it. my producer yeah, yeah. will not do a live show with me i smoke too much weed um hey, i have an interesting question for you when and here's something that i think has been almost universally true it takes a lot for an enlisted man to kill or, or a drafted man to kill an officer is there almost it, it, it's like it seems like it's almost always justified right well, I don't want to say always justified. Certainly justified to the person who did it. I'm not saying always justified, yeah. but I'm saying that based upon the it's amount lot, of yeah. brainwashing, camaraderie, like social pressure, like all of this stuff, the the amount of effort it would take mentally to cross those barriers suggests that if you're getting murdered, you probably have it coming. It's really uncommon, uh, and I think a lot of it. I think a lot of it is, you know, social pressures, things like that, of course, but also the idea of like, at the end of this war, I'm going to go home. If I kill this fucking asshole, they're going to line me up against a wall. 
You know, like <laughs> this is not worth my life. Which is why you got to really fuck up to go there, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to, yeah. End, uh, to end up at the end of one of your own men's gun is, is, is an indictment of how bad you are as a leader. Because most people, totally. I mean, I, I never had saw this happen, of course. It's very, like, it's super, super uncommon. Uh, <laughs> I'm worried uncommon. that my job should be to cut you off right now. <laughs> like it's super super uncommon in the modern military, but it did happen in Iraq. Uh, there was a really famous fragging case uh, in Iraq where I think it was in the New York National Guard, where a uh, he was a high ranking non commissioned officer put a claymore outside of his company commander's window and set it off. He got away that with is it. Fucking amazing. Uh, he went that to is court. Amazing. Like, he got arrested, got investigated, went to uh, courts martial, and they just didn't have enough proof. Uh, so like, I mean, uh, of course, a lot of this is because cops are bad at their job. Military cops are even worse at their job. <laughs> that sounds right. It's a lot like when you, I mean, I'm not a true crime fan, but if you look at true crime and like through like this pretty much through all time to include today, everybody's like, wow, that, that serial killer is, is a genius. In reality, it's like cops like, whoops, dropped my donut on the evidence. Oh, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, we, we were going to investigate that, but then it was in the evidence locker and it's like so far away. Yeah. Oh. Look, I understand that 50 uh, homeless people have been murdered in the city, but I don't see a connection. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said homeless, so I stopped caring. Yeah, That's exactly. America. This message brought to you by the Chicago Police Department. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Now, like we, like I said, that they like, oh, he's he's addicted to weed. They didn't know he was on opium yet. Uh, but there's also like a huge racial undertone here. They believe that uh, at the at the time they believe like the you know the reefer madness type shit that if black people smoked weed, it made them extra violent and unable to control themselves. You know, uh, this is very very stupid. So they pinned a lot of it on that. Now, of course, this allowed them to blame something else and not pushing a man over the edge uh, through systemic racism and then giving him a gun. Um, now, meanwhile, Perry had been sprinting through the jungle for three days. Uh, he had no memory of the shooting, which is pretty common for people undergoing some pretty serious trauma. Perry had never seen combat. He had never fired a, his, his weapon in anger for, he certainly never killed a man. Um, no so shit. Yeah. Oh my God. So this, so this to him was pure on, like, I am, uh, reacting emotionally and murdering a man and he has no... Wow, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, the eyewitness, the the man who was driving the, uh, the the dump truck said that like, well, the army was painting him as like, well, I'm gonna fucking kill this officer. Uh, Perry was actually like crying and telling uh, uh, Kelly to stay away from him. So like, sure, he was 100 sure. emotional. Um, Absolutely. Now, like I'm, I, I the, everything that I've ever lived for is avoiding this moment, and you are forcing me into it. Yeah. Yeah. And you can only push someone so fucking far, you know, not, not to mention right? there, he had, there was no light at the end of this tunnel. Even if he didn't shoot caddy, he was going back to the stockade. And then after that, he was going to be released from the stockade and then go back into digging this fucking road. Like he had, there was no way Best out for case him. scenario. You are building road Lido no matter what. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. yeah. Now, in these three days, uh, he was, you know, 
hungry, tired, covered in leeches. He he didn't want to be out there anymore. So he eventually turned around and wandered right back into his camp on March 8th. To the amazement of his fellow soldiers in his unit, who, of course, everybody knew what had happened at this point, he just reappeared one day, standing in the middle of their tent, holding his rifle. Uh <laughs> Okay. Members of his right. uh, his unit grabbed him and hid him, telling him that the MPs had orders to shoot him on sight, which was true. Um, so, <laughs> okay, like, the, the, like, their soldiers even wrote like letters to him um, and like gave him like they're like letters of support from around the unit, um, oh, and shit. then. They warned him, do not let yourself get captured. They gave him a ton of ammo for his rifle and then like a box of rations because he needed food and then shoved him back out into the jungle. Like all accounts at this point that he was like just out of it. He like he was just like in a complete blank like fugue state or whatever. He was was out of it. Now, what I'm hearing is that this is the basis for RTJ3. We've got don't get captured. (laughs) We've got <laughs> and not to mention, like now he has enough stuff to actually resist the MPs when they come out of. Unfortunately, he for, he lost his rifle. He leaned it up against a tree and then went to sleep. Well, and then he lost his rifle. Yeah. <laughs> Own goal, man. Own yeah. goal. You gotta keep an eye on that. Oh. You gotta keep the rifle. Yeah, it's the only thing keeping you alive Absolutely. at this point. At least to Absolutely. fight off the fucking tigers. Now. The manhunt had turned into something pretty big for the local MPs. They put a captain named Eugene Kirk in charge. Uh, yeah, Captain Kirk. Yeah. Captain uh, Kirk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You, I was, yeah, yeah, I got that. Uh, no, it, this is actually going to sound even worse. I just realized that and I wrote this script. <laughs> <laughs> Though Kirk right, was, was right. not good at his job. Uh, like I said, he was known for directing traffic and arresting drunk. Maru. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all of this was made worse uh, by the fact that Kirk being bad at his job and the army was even worse at it. Uh, for instance, they didn't even have a picture of Herman Perry on file. They're like, so what's he look like? Yeah, we don't know. Kirk also miswrote his serial number. Uh, for like that was on his dog tags, and put on an all points bulletin that got his physical description wrong. Pretty much the only thing they got ra- right is that he was in fact a black man. So, so much of this story is a failure of record keeping above all else. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, none of this would have happened if people could keep paperwork. Now, for some reason, mostly racial, uh, Kirk believed that Perry, free from the army now, would have to go sate his insatiable sexual appetite, and he must be going to the nearest city, Calcutta, which was known for its brothels. Um, And so he ordered a trap to be set all over Calcutta, staking out every single brothel in town. And to be fair, there was a fuckload of them. So he said to be a million. He put an entire spy network among, like, in place amongst the sex workers, uh, who, of course, were are taking his money because they're like, yeah, sure, we'll tell you if Perry shows up. Perry was nowhere near Calcutta. He's going the exact opposite way. Uh, he was still just off the Lido Road, not even a full 10 miles away from the camp. <laughs> Meanwhile, this fucking moron has established like a sex worker spy ring. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's isn't that such like stereotypes? Like if if somebody was like, oh, Jordan's on the run. He's a comedian. Comedians love to go to nightclubs and get shit faced. And it's like, 
Yeah, man, when you're paying me, I could go anywhere. <laughs> He's a comedian. We have to stake out uh, Joe Rogan's studio. And like, to be fair, if one of my soldiers went missing and I was living in a city that had legal prostitution, I'm like, we have to go check the brothel. Like, <laughs> that, that's, that is a fair point. That is a fair point. <laughs> I won't argue that for a second. Uh, but he, instead, he was only a few miles off the Lido Road, going deeper and deeper into the jungle. Uh, he had no idea where he was. And at one point, he came across a patrol of the local British police. It was like a civil... Uh, I think they call it like a civil security patrol. They went out to local villages because there were local tribal villages that were being attacked by the Naga. Because the Naga were headhunters, which was illegal. Yeah, making headhunting illegal seems kind of fucking stupid. But uh, who were being victimized by the Naga... And the British would go around like, hey, have they come around? And they'd be like, no, no. And like, okay, fine. So he ran into one of those patrols. Hey, listen, on their own, we haven't done anything, but have they been like, are we cool yet? Are we friends? Are we cool yet? Like, listen, you guys, you do you, we do us, but like, let's just be cool. I don't know. I don't know what else you want from us. We made head hunting illegal. Why don't they simply follow the law? I don't understand why this tribe of people who have no interest in our laws or money or anything that we're associated with doesn't follow our laws or money or anything we're associated with. <laughs> That's right. Um, now, the, the British were kind of confused, like, why the hell is this clearly black American soldier all alone in the middle of the jungle? And Perry hit him with the charm. He told them that he was a scout for the American military. Uh, and... It, Despite the fact, remember, he doesn't have a gun anymore. <laughs> He's just standing there in his uniform. I can't begin to describe to you how much I love this dude. Yeah. <laughs> and it, hey, buddy! Even better than that, the British are like, yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't lie to our face like that. But why would he? And then, and then Perry is like, well, since you're here... I seem to be out of food. Uh, can I get some? And they'd be like, yeah, sure. And they gave him a fucking ton of food to include like syrupy, uh, like containers of fruit and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> like they gave him all the food he could carry and a handgun. Imagine you're hiking through the woods and you know, one of the, one of the, the, the nature hikes in Chicago. And someone's like, Hey man, right. can I have a gun? And you're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> No, no, no. And this is something that I feel like people don't know, is that the most amazing thing in history is that no matter when, if you can meet the British army when they don't know that they already hate you, they will be so kind and deferential. But if they already hate you, you're fucking dead. Yeah, pretty much. It's a weird army that they've got going around there. Yeah, and there was racism in England, of course, but like they didn't have oh, Jim no, Crow. They didn't, they didn't have Jim Crow shit. Uh, so like, right, right, right. They had tacit Jim Crow. I mean, they didn't have a constitution either, you know. So right. they, they've got some, they've got some tacit shit that they don't need to write down. Of course, and Perry wasn't Indian, so he's like, well, he's one step above that. We'll give him a gun. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. and then. Perry eventually came up to some Naga tribesmen who gave him food also. Uh, now, they either knew him personally from trading opium with him or because they did understand the kind of fucked up dynamics between black and white. Uh, not necessarily in America in general, but they saw because the British treated them the same way. So they're like, well, he's not white, so he can't be that bad. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that an aboriginal tribe instantly grasped that apartheid was wrong? 
Uh, I mean, at least I think that they at least had a comparison because, like, whenever we're around white people, they treat us like shit. <laughs> right, right, right. That doesn't seem right. Uh, it's like what? It's like cops' explanation for Stockholm syndrome of like, well, clearly it must be some weird sort of psychological disease that people don't like cops. <laughs> Now, uh, he also then stumbled upon an, an entire Naga village, which was decorated with hundreds of polished human skulls. Uh, this is generally what's <laughs> known as a warning. Uh, Perry was sure. like, seems cool, and just walked right up to it. Um, I love Perry. I want, I, I'm loving him. I love like him. I said, the Herman Perry grind said, I wasn't even kidding. I'm all about this life, no. man. Right on in it, yeah. Now, uh, he walked right into the village, and be- like I said before, just because they did business with you did not mean they were going to be friendly if you showed up at their house. However, Perry showed up with a fuckload of looted rations that he got from the army and then the British patrol. And the uh, the leader of the tribe, which is known as like the Aang, the Aang was like, you can stay here. <laughs> it's like, like, well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like it was, it was a barter system. It was, he effectively bought a room, uh, you know, rented a, re- rented a flat, if you will. No. Yeah, absolutely. Doesn't matter what era of history or what tribe you are, man. You bring a lot of food, you're probably going to get a place to stay. Yeah, not to mention, like, the Naga had had problems with the Americans and especially the British, but those problems were with white people. Like, well, once again, you're not one of those guys, so cool. You probably won't give us problems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what's true is that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it ended up being 100% true, yeah. Uh, now, almost right. immediately, Perry found that he... Love this place. Uh, they still worked the fields during the day, which he remembered from his youth, but they were working in rice fields and and, and weed crops and things like that. Uh, but then after working for a couple hours, everybody would stop working and get fucked up on rice beer. Right. And then... Right, uh, right, right, right. It was sexually it was a very free society. Uh, like, of uh, course. Of course. Premarital sex was expected. <laughs> And like this is a lifestyle I feel like all of us are like, yeah, he's on to something here. He effectively yeah, but, became but, America's first hippie. That but is that's the story. That's the story again and again of Aboriginal people or or indigenous people or whoever coming into contact with white society, joining white society, experiencing that, and then experiencing a non-white society being like, fuck white society. That happens yeah. all the time. Every Native American that ever went to England was like, I'm going to go back to America and leave you people forever. Fuck this shit. To be fair, I am not an indigenous person to the Americas, and I would also not want to live in the UK. <laughs> right? What are you talking about? What are you, why did you guys build a society this stupid? <laughs> <laughs> why did we like it so much we wanted to spread it? Fuck. What is wrong with you people? Yeah, totally now, get it. Uh, like, remember, he's 20 years old. He had spent his entire life being discriminated against in and outside the army. And he, to him, he had just walked into fucking heaven. Uh, you know, and eventually through this process, he met the the Aang or the tribal leader's daughter, who was four years younger than him. Uh, the leader told Perry that he's fine with this relationship. However, you know, you owe me a dowry. Uh, and he said specifically, you need to go get more American rations. Sure. Um, and Perry was like, okay, you know, he's 20 years old. He desperately wants to fuck the chief's daughter. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. 
He did what any other young man would do. He simply hiked six miles through the jungle, waved down a passing American truck, and acquired supplies somehow. Now, here's the fun part. <laughs> he didn't bring his gun. Uh, it's, it's questionable if he even had his gun anymore. Uh, so it's not like he robbed them. Uh, but he did make off with literally tons of supplies. And here's the explanation why. The easiest explanation is probably my favorite. Everyone knew who Perry was at this point. His status had been elevated to a, to a kind of local soldier folk hero. And the people driving the truck would have immediately known who he was and probably given him anything he wanted. <laughs> or he invoked bro laws like, look, guys, I'm really trying to get laid. Could I get some fucking rations? <laughs> Excuse me, gentlemen. Paul Bunyan has emerged from the Amazon. In like the news articles and stuff had called him Herman Perry, the Jungle King. So like the people knew who he, people knew who he was. So like, huh? That must be Herman. Yeah, we'll give him some fruit. Right, right, like, right. Yeah, yeah. He, no, we're gonna feed Tarzan if it kills us. Yeah, of course we are. They gave him so many uh, boxes of rations and supplies. He had to go back to the village to wrangle up some like uh, locals to help him carry it all back. The soldiers <laughs> also gave him a new rifle. Once again, complete stranger. Like, hey, bro, you want a gun? <laughs> oh shit! So we're we've we've gone from uh, a fun time to Ocean's Elevening military rations. Got yes. <laughs> now armed with the only gun in the village, Perry proved his worth to the Naga by going hunting with them, and he hooked up with the chief's daughter. His life was paradise. For the first time in his entire yeah. life, he wasn't being judged for his race. Nobody was telling him what to do, and he was pretty much allowed to do whatever he wanted. So he decided to marry into the family. Wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me he doesn't want to continue being a part of the greatest nation on the, on the earth? Are you telling me that this man is not looking at the United States and jerking off at the thought of a nation this great existing? Instead, he decided to uh, scamper off into the jungle, marry a chief's daughter, and begin growing weed and opium for himself. <laughs> that sounds crazy. What sane human being would think that's not better than working from nine to five, five days a week? And he, he, was, he was considered kind of well off for village standards because he could hunt so well, you know, because he had a gun. Uh, sure. So he, he sure. could hire he's upper middle class. Yeah, he, he's solidly <laughs> upper middle class because of the invention of the firearm. Sure, sure. And he could like barter with other villagers to work his field for him. So all he did is spend his time doing drugs and shooting monkeys in the jungle. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm not saying, listen, I'm just saying that if you learn a behavior from the white man, maybe it's not just <laughs> to replicate it elsewhere. He I'm, paid them at least. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and within uh, a short amount of time, only about a few weeks, really, he was going to be a dad again. Holy shit. <laughs> That's quick. That uh, is he, quick. He, he just spent eight months uh, digging a road through the jungle. He's making up for lost time. Sure, sure, sure. We're we're talking like uh, you know what was his regular work schedule? Sixteen hours a day. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, now he doesn't have that, so he's got to fill sixteen hours a day with something. And I feel like now we know what it is. Yeah, doing fat bowls of opium and shooting monkeys only <laughs> takes up so much time of your day. Right, right, right. You gotta fuck. 
<laughs> and I, I feel like the shooting the monkeys thing was almost vengeance for them screaming at night while he was trying to sleep for all that time. He's like, now, motherfuckers, it's time to level the playing field. I just don't understand why you're not spending all of your trying time trying to domesticate tigers because <laughs> that's my number one move right now. Her- Herman <laughs> Perry rides into the camp on tiger back holding oh a rifle. God. Brothers, follow me into the jungle. <laughs> Buddy, print the legend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that'd make a good fucking shirt. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, he would not be able to live in this village for too long without word finally getting out. Someone from the village went down to the local bazaar where all the like the local villages converged upon and said something about, hey, we have this weird dark skinned guy living with us who married into the tribal royalty. Oh, my God. When have gossipy bitch is not ruined everything always that's, that's something that's like the book really lays out pretty well is that like the nagas were a bunch of gossipy bitches uh and See, they like the great mind is how they got their news that's how they got their news right like, no no of course uh like the british makes sense. Uh, i'm not gonna the, judge their behavior clearly no of course not Ima- imagine if someone that's like completely alien to you showed up and started living in your garage like you you tell someone and like totally. married You're your not going to be Drew Barrymore you know? in E.T. You're not going to keep it a secret. You're going to be like, holy shit, I got a fucking alien, man. Yeah, Let's what if E.T. Him. showed up to your house and fucked your mom? Like, I got to tell someone about this. <laughs> <laughs> and like the, the British had established like a uh, bizarre checkpoint, like like sh- like markets and stuff where they could use to monitor the local population of, of the remote tribes people on top of like they gave out huge amounts of rice there to try to win people over so sure sure sure. you sure. only Hearts could pass shit yeah of course you could only pass this rumor of like this black guy showing up in our village through so many nagas before it finally got back to the british commander of that distribution point named captain sutherland he was like that's gotta be fucking perry like <laughs> there's that'd <laughs> be hard to assume anybody else yeah and he had told the <laughs> american it's, provost marshal this the swamp fox <laughs> <laughs> He told the American provost marshal, who's like the head of military law enforcement, um, and which was shocking to him because they actually assumed that he had died out in the jungle. He had been gone for like five months. So they're like, oh, oh, that shit. guy's got to be fucking dead, uh, for whether right, it be from right, disease right, right. or a tiger or whatever. Like he's fucking he's like, holy shit, Perry's still alive. Yeah. Why? Would, what kind of crazy person would assume he was still alive? I would figure he's dead. Sense. I mean, yeah. he would have been yeah, dead if he didn't find that dead. village. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, for sure. If he hadn't fucked the chief's daughter, he'd be dead as shit right now. Yeah. Um, now, this rumor mill did not work one way. And soon the Naga from Perry's village heard that Americans had heard about him being there and warned Perry to get the fuck out of there. Uh, so, <laughs> and that the Aang. And thus begins the worst moment of any story about history. And then the white man came. <laughs> yeah, the, like the ang of his of the village that he was staying in knew the ang of the other village because they were related. He's like, I'll take you over to his village and you can hide there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so by July 20th, the detachment of MPs was sent out to get him, finding that he hadn't been moved two days before. However, they had hired uh, a Naga guide who knew the ang of that village and was like, ah, his cousin is the leader of this village. I bet he put him over there. So this guide fucked him. Whoa. So, well, okay. All right. All right. So everybody that, knows fucking everybody. This is like World War One shit where the Queen of England is married to the King of Germany. I got it. 
Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows everybody. All I mean, these villages are only a couple dozen families at most. You know, sure, sure, very sure. small yeah, community. Yeah. Uh, so the guide led them over to the second village, and uh, they the guide snuck up to the hut where Perry was staying in, uh, and asked him, like, "Hey, can I borrow your weapon? I want to go hunting." And Perry, who has been so used to like half of a year now helping Naga without right. questioning right. their their motives, like, "Yeah, yeah, of course." So the guide yeah, yeah. then now holding Perry's only weapon went back to the MPs like he's in there and I un- and I disarmed him. No. Yeah. So the what MPs are you, what, are you, what are you doing Judas? Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> what shit is this? He did have like a thousand rupee bounty on his head. Uh so like, you know, this is a f- he was worth a lot of money. That's like 50 bucks. <laughs> no, uh the MPs snuck up to the hut where Perry was staying, but Perry noticed flashlights. He's like Wait a fucking second. Nagas don't have flashlights. And then the village dog started barking, which is it doesn't bark at Nagas. So he's like, oh, fuck, the MPs are here. So like any man who had already killed one guy, he grabbed a Dao, which remember is like a sword, went outside and fucking hucked it at the MPs, barely missing taking (laughs) one guy's head off. It's like when a guy is out of bullets and he throws the gun, man. No, no, no. You keep the sword in your hand. He voluntarily brought a sword to a gunfight and almost won. Uh, then the, the MPs then opened fire on him and uh, Perry took off running into the jungle, despite the fact he knew that this particular stretch of jungle was very popular with the local tiger population. The MPs closed in after him and noticed... Spent your time domesticating tigers, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, Once again, it comes back to bite you in the ass that you haven't he, domesticated tigers. He should have married into the tigers. Oh my god, <laughs> it's obvious in retrospect. <laughs> now, uh, they noticed a blood trail going from the hut, so Perry had been wounded. They followed that blood trail to find Perry shot in the chest and suffering from a collapsed lung. He had managed to make it to a nearby stream before collapsing. Uh, and... Uh, they found him near death, brought him back into the village, and to the shock of the gang of MPs, their commander by the name of Captain McMinn ordered them to give him first aid. Now, most of these white MPs have been figured they were part of a glorified lynch mob, that they would just murder him. Right, right, right. They're just a death squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But their commander wasn't. And to be clear here, I need to say this very quickly. This is not because he's a decent man or cared about Perry or the rule of law. Um, like I said before, his notoriety had grown amongst black troops. He had been, he had become, like I said, a folk hero to them. He's a guy who gunned down a shitty white officer and ran off into the jungle. And since then, rumors had run rampant while the white officer, he's a, he's a hero. Like the, the, the general, the, the guy going there isn't like, it's not like he had a bet that the guy was going to live. Right. Yeah. (laughs) They, they were worried that he's trying to survive himself. Yeah, I gotcha. Like, there had been a growing number of insubordination cases, and again, they blame these on Perry and his story rather than everything that they were doing. Right, so, right, right, of course. Captain McMinn figured if they just shot him, uh, that nobody would believe it. Uh, because remember, they had already believed he was fucking dead, and they already had been spreading rumors for half of a year at this point. So Okay, had- so what you're telling me is this. Is if they had spent their time domesticating tigers, they could have loosed the tigers on this dude, and they never had to worry about. It. This is a story about people not domesticating tigers. Is all truly a tiger's arms race? Yeah, <laughs> this is a way cooler version of the Cold War. 
like McMinn was given very strict orders to make sure that Perry made it in alive so he could be executed publicly for his crimes. He was going to be made an example. And under interrogation, uh, which by that I mean being asked while still in the village and bleeding out, if he was who he was and if he had shot Caddy, he was like, yeah, that's me. I did it. Uh, and yeah, asked, And asked why he shot Caddy. He said, because he deserved it. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to say? Why the fuck do you think I shot him? Get the fuck out of here. No. Whoopsie doodle. I gave, him a, I gave him a double tap to the chest. What are you going to say? I tripped. I yeah. tripped. What are you going to do? Now, since he was talking, uh, McMinn demanded to know uh, how much help Perry was getting from soldiers in his unit. To which Perry looked at him dead in the eye and said, nobody's helped me at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah guess what the first not a snitch so far in this goddamn story yep he was eventually brought back to base where he stashed in a hospital for medical treatment and pumped full of painkillers while he was high as shit on painkillers he uh, began to get in- interrogated again where he once again admitted to everything but now he was out of his mind i learned how to speak to tigers <laughs> i know the language i will live forever <laughs> Me and my tiger son will come back with you for vengeance. <laughs> I am Mowgli. <laughs> now, but like his interrogation, his answers to the interrogation made no sense whatsoever. Like he said that the, the rifle that he had used to kill Lieutenant Caddy had been stolen, which it wasn't that, that was his issued firearm. And there's a paper trail that confirmed <laughs> that. Sure, sure. But uh, the army investigator is like, yeah, good enough. Our job here is done. <laughs> okay. And uh, with that, he was readied for his trial. Now, during World War II, the Army's general court-martials handled serious crimes within the military. They'd undergone reform since World War I when someone pointed out that, hey, the accused actually have no rights whatsoever. Like, not even the right for counsel. Uh, So, Oh, that's not good. Yeah, so in 1920, that was all fixed. Uh, You were allowed the right to counsel, but there was one problem. Nowhere in that article of reform did it note anything to do with that council's actual qualifications. Uh, like, for example, uh, we did a, a premium episode on Eddie Slovic, who was the only U.S. soldier to be executed for desertion during World War II. His defense uh-huh. counsel wasn't even a lawyer. Uh, it, it was just it was just Derek from down the way. Yeah, yeah, guy. He's like he okay. read a couple books. He dabbled in law on his free time. He. he Slovic was executed. (laughs) Like the guy didn't even file paperwork correctly. Shit like that. Sure. Now in the civilian world, I'm not saying this is a good system, but you're you're tried before a jury of your peers. Generally speaking, we get there's a whole other podcast at length of why that's actually a lie. The system is deeply flawed. However, in the military, that is not the case. There's not even a facade of it being in front of your peers. The judges yeah, and jurors. Yeah, I mean, the judges and jurors are all officers, which meant yeah. <laughs> that Herman Perry would be facing an entirely white tribunal. Yeah, I read the great Santini. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> now, who would be the defense and prosecuting attorney was also decided by the same office that ran the trial, the CBI Services right. of Supply. Excuse me, Your Honor, Your Honor, I'm seeing a very slight conflict of interest here. Oh boy! Wait, it gets worse. I am a four-year-old. That is how much <laughs> education it takes to see a contra- a conflict of interest here. They picked the judges, they picked the jurors, and they picked the defense, and they picked the prosecution. So 
As Jordan already alluded to, in theory, they could control how these trials went by assigning people they knew to be good or bad at their jobs, which is why that (laughs) happened. Uh, They assigned prosecution to a guy named Bernard Frank. He was a veteran criminal attorney from Florida and the Army's top prosecutor for India. (laughs) Okay. Defense fell to Clayton Oberholzer. Now, prior to Army life, he was a small-town lawyer in uh, Medina, Ohio. (laughs) Nah, Your Honor, (laughs) I'm just a small country lawyer, and I don't know much about your fantastic law practices here. However, I must say that my client cannot have committed this crime. <laughs> <laughs> now, not only was he actually a small country lawyer, he was a <laughs> he was a small claims court guy. Um, he handled like divorces. Uh, he had never once tr- defended a murder case. He wasn't even a lawyer in the army. When he he right. actually did not practice law because he didn't want to. When he commissioned into the military, he asked to not be a lawyer. So they put him in the quartermaster corps, which ended with him right. commanding a unit of black truck drivers there in the Lido Road. Sure. So he got picked because they're like, well, fuck, he's a lawyer. He hadn't practiced law in three years. <laughs> And because that the CBI office is like, you're going to defend him. That's an order. He can't be like, no, the fuck I'm not. So without, you know, a divorce lawyer ended up trying a death penalty case within three years of commanding a truck driving unit. Sure, sure. No, no, no. The army makes sense is what you're telling me. Absolutely. (laughs) Now, Oberholzer had only a month to prepare for this trial and figured out pretty goddamn quick that there's no way he was in getting acquittal. His best bet was to prove Perry hadn't planned the murder, which made it uh, a manslaughter case and not a murder case, which therefore would save Perry's life. And like, so the whole thing came down to Oberholzer was going to do his best to make Caddy look portionally responsible for Perry's actions. Now, this was a problem for the other attorney who completely agreed that Caddy acted like a fucking idiot right before the murder. So he's like, "Uh oh. Listen, everybody here in this court agrees. The guy who got murdered had it coming. But is murder okay? Like, maybe murder's bad. I mean, sure, this guy needed to be murdered, like, so bad. (laughs) Oberholzer's defense comes down to, come on. Ah, Come on. Come on. Let Let me murder this guy. Come on. However, unfortunately, none of this, like the legal matters, never actually mattered in the first place. Numerous American soldiers had gotten away with murder and desertion, but no black man had ever gotten away with killing a white officer. Before the trial even began, Judge Advocate General Corps officers were sending memos back and forth to each other saying it did not matter how the trial played out. This is all ending in a death sentence. Now, the U.S. Army in India had yet to execute a single soldier, but the army otherwise made with capital punishment quite, a, quite occasionally. It wasn't super frequent, not for desertion, but for other crimes like murder or rape. This is almost always against locals. Uh, in Europe, 70 soldiers were eventually executed for their crimes. Of those 70, 55 were black. This is despite the fact that only 9% of the army in Europe was black. In the Pacific, the number was even higher. 21 soldiers were executed, 18 of them black. Now, this, this 
actually follows with civilian numbers as well, which is why recently the state of Washington uh, outlawed the death penalty, claiming it was racist. And the Supreme Court was like, yep. <laughs> Supreme, the Supreme Court of Washington, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's not going to make it past the Supreme Court. No. <laughs> well, thankfully, it's uh, thankfully because like the states are allowed to regulate that. So it doesn't matter. Of course, unfortunately, federally, you're fucked. Um, yep. Now, much like their willingness to throw black soldiers in jail for no reason and at the, the drop of the hat, they were also much more likely to walk them to the gallows. So statistically, Perry was doomed from the start. His trial began September 4th, 1944, and one of the jury officers not, didn't even bother to show up for work. And after that, he never came back. Um, then, yeah, nobody really knows why. He's like, yeah, one guy just didn't show. I, I, I mean, this, again, there are very few heroes in this story, but we've got another one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that guy probably sucked because he was an officer, but at least he had nothing to do with this. Right, right, right. <laughs> Then uh, Major Paul Grove, who was a medical officer tasked with being on the jury, was asked by Oberholzer to be recused. The guy didn't even wait for the judge to make a ruling. He's like, yep, I'm out of here. I didn't even question it. <laughs> Peace. Listen, I just want to give love to everybody who came out here to support me. But listen, I got to get out of here. All yeah. right. Bye. So at that point, there's only six jurors left. Uh, Perry pleaded not guilty. <laughs> Uh, and they didn't, they, they weren't replaced either. It's not like they have a reserve jury pool. The was like, ah, oh, fuck it. No. I guess we just keep going from here. So eventually all we've got is Darren and Terry. Those are the <laughs> only two people we've got on our jury. And listen, man, they're not fair. <laughs> Perry pleaded not guilty to all the charges and the, def- and, uh, the defense called, uh, Colonel Hyatt as a witness. Uh, and they used him to show that Caddy was, in fact, brutal, racist, and an asshole with a history of harming soldiers. Hyatt did not uh, deny any of that. Um, this was also followed by just about every non-commissioned officer that came in contact with Perry, admitting that they had told Perry that he should talk to Colonel Hyatt if he wanted to get out of going to prison. Next, the driver of the dump truck that Perry had hitched a ride in uh, pointed out that Perry wasn't mad. He was, like, distressed and crying. Uh, and while Caddy was screaming insults and threats at him while he was armed. So, you know, that's the the, the tactic of trying to shift the blame onto Caddy, which you know, was his fault. Yeah, when the, yeah, sure, when, sure. Yeah. When it was the prosecution's turn, they pointed the confession that Perry had made in the hospital while under the influence of painkillers. However, even though even back then, this would probably easily be able to be thrown out. Um but Oberholzer fucked up the process to get it withdrawn as evidence because he didn't know how. Yeah, because he's a divorce lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> something happens when you That's normally not like. Fair. Yeah, I know. I know this seems so trite and stupid, but it's like, come on, man. That's not fair. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Frank like, was just a better lawyer. I mean, right? That shouldn't be allowed. The law is supposed to be impartial, but you can just be good at it and win? That's not fair. That doesn't seem right. So, like, now whenever Oberholzer brought up an argument, Frank was like, well, look at this confession. <laughs> it's like, fuck, Jesus. shit. Oh, um, man. I wish I'm, there was some sort of legal recourse. Like an appeal. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Oh. Weirdly enough, in clo- by the time the court case closed, Oberholzer was pretty, un- pretty clearly unsure of what the fuck was going on anymore. 
Uh, he got lost in court proceedings. He hardly even mentioned the main point of his defense, that being that we're not debating that he did it. We're debating that it should be manslaughter, not murder. He only brought that up right. once and then completely forgot about it. Ooh, in- that's not good. Instead, he focused so much on Caddy being a bad person that he spoke more about like him possibly committing adultery in the brothels at, in Calcutta more than uh, you know that his actual defense. And, like this was so petty at this point that like the judge had to point finally point out that Caddy was not on trial. In my client's defense, I want to murder the shit out of Caddy. I want to kill this dude. <laughs> So bad. This motherfucker did this. I want to stab him for that. This motherfucker did Okay. All right. <laughs> now, in the end, this trial took only six hours, which included Jesus two, Christ. No. Which, which included two breaks and an hour for lunch. Oh, fuck me. The Jesus jury took Christ. only five minutes for Perry to be found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. Now, Unfortunately, well, or fortunately, depending on which side of this fence that you're on, this this is not just like you're marched out back and, and strung up. In order for this to be final, two general officers would have to sign off on the sentence for Perry to face the gallows. The first of these was General William Coville, who was the commander of the services of supply. So he was the commander of the unit that set the entire jury up um, and uh, trial right, and everything. Right, right. However, right. So this he, guy is not on Perry's team. Well, he's not probably not just by a default, but he also had no idea about military law. He wasn't a lawyer. So the army lawyers under his command, which remember just prosecuted this case, helpfully loaned him an advisor to advise him on this death penalty case, which made him completely dependent on this advisor's advice. He didn't know the first thing about the law. So, of course, he signed off on it. Sure. Right, now, right, right. So this this dumb dumb gets a smart handler to guide him through the process necessary to hang this dude who's fucking cool. It's actually even worse than that. Um, so the the advisor that they gave him was again a Major Charles Richardson, and the case file they gave him uh, read on the cover, "quote This case being a case in which the death penalty has been imposed, this reviewing authority has only the power to approve or disprove this sentence in its entirety, and has no power to order the execution or or the uh, the sentence or grant commutation." So this is completely untrue. Uh, per wait, the wait, wait. So if I understand correctly, what they're saying is. You can either say this guy lives or dies. You can't say he's innocent or guilty or that his sentence should be like life in prison or something like that, right? Right. The uh, the the case that Koval was looking at, in his mind and per his advisor, his, he had two options. Execute Perry or release him. Right. That's what... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So, which... Which is completely untrue. Per the Articles of War, as a general officer, Koval had fully the right to commute his sentence to literally anything else. What? Yeah. But he had no he idea. He just didn't tell him? He didn't yep. know? And, and they what? lied on the official casework. Yeah. Can, can you do that? Nope. <laughs> there's, so much, there's so much of history that really just comes down to somebody had the gall to do something and nobody punished them for it. Yeah, the lawyers just lied to a general's face knowing he wouldn't know any better. Yeah, now, what the fuck do you know, idiot? Yeah, that's amazing. So confronted with those as only two options, he signed off on it. 
And then the the sure. oh, they had to be signed off by one other general. This case went to General Stillwell, who waited a month to actually look over the file. But by the time that he actually went to sign it, he didn't actually have the authority to do so. The army had since uh, promoted in his place a guy named General Sultan, uh, who had also no authority. Because in order for a general to have authority as a new commander, which included the right of execution, uh, he had to get a letter from the Secretary of War to validate that he was in command. And he was still waiting on that. So. He Perry is in prison now, a real prison, not the stockade, waiting through all of this. And that's when he's like, I'm not going to fucking stick around here. The guards of the prison had kept them in chains and handcuffed since the trial, which had been, remember, over a month. But because they're in India, the handcuffs, badly made whatever, had literally rusted off of his body uh, from the humidity. That's a huge, that's a win. It doesn't get better than that. Yeah, he so he have to try to escape. Yeah, they he was allowed <laughs> to freely wander the prison and learn that other soldiers coming to and from the camp for jobs weren't even searched by the guards. So before long, he managed to get his hands on a pair of wire cutters, clip through the fence, and escape back off into the jungle. Buddies, I I've got to tell you this right now: these people are trying to force us to escape. There's only this is the only explanation <laughs> for what's They're, going on here. They're fucking daring <laughs> you to I stay in prison. And now I'm, I'm like, all my clothes have melted off. This is <laughs> Now, unfortunately for him, he was about 80 miles from his adopted Naga home village. And the but the MPs had no place to start. Uh, like newspapers and radio all broadcasted that Perry had escaped. And MPs began their search by stopping random black soldiers and harassing and harassing them and insisting that they were helping Perry. Now, they weren't. Because some of these guys have been miles away, like like I said, 80 miles from his original camp, and actually never heard the Perry story. But now they're being harassed by the fucking cops. They sure as fuck sure. are on Perry's side now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was Absolutely. he arrested for, sir? Oh, he shot a white officer. Like, huh, you don't say. Nope, haven't seen him. <laughs> are you? Hold on. Let me, let me ask you a quick question. Tell me more of this folk hero's exploits who uh, identifies closer with me than with you. Jungle King, you say. (laughs) (laughs) Now, um, the MPs are actually close on capturing him in one occasion, but he managed to escape. They let a trap out for him and he managed to escape it. But after that, the trail went cold. But then he reappeared. He had gotten his hand on a pistol. And now, because you know he was in an area that didn't quite know who he was, he began robbing any Americans he came across. At one point, he broke into a man's tent and held a man at gunpoint as he cooked him a meal and then sat down and ate it while he watched. That's fucking... Uh, that's, that's just... You just don't get that from the modern criminals. No, you know? he's a gentleman. You just don't get that kind of level of respect and just like, I respect my profession. I respect your position. Listen, we're all just going to try and make it through this together. I like it. Yeah, like if you weren't Lieutenant Caddy, the chances of, of, of him hurting you were zero. Zero. And then he waved down another truck, uh, which had two truck drivers in it. He said, hey, how about you let some stuff fall out the back? And the truck drivers went and told the MPs that they had seen Perry. Who told told their commander, whose name was Major Earl Cullum, who's a former Dallas cop. So, you know, he's a piece of shit. Um, oh, yeah. when, 
when Colum and his MPs try to set a trap for Perry, they uh, Perry escaped, and despite the Perry's uh, or despite the MPs being the only ones who opened fire during this encounter, Colum got shot in the leg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, I'm liking this. Nope. See how this plays out. By this point, Perry had made it back to the Lido Road and wanted to hop into the back of a passing cargo truck, which would hopefully bring him into Burma. Instead, he kind of fucked up, tripped and fell and ate shit out of the back of a moving truck in front of the watchful eyes of construction workers who were really confused, which ended him running back out into the jungle. Right, right, right. So we're we're in a sort of like ironic, we begin at the end uh, uh, situation. Yeah. Where all of a sudden he winds up back on Lido Road. And he's fucked. He never really gets away from the road. Uh, like, right? I, I mean, by this point, uh, like they call him and his MPs had formed like a local posse, uh, like deputizing the local Assam police to help them find this guy, mostly so they didn't get lost in the fucking jungle and die. Um, right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. And then eventually, like, they were getting tons of rumors getting them because now everybody knew about the Jungle King. Like, this was all over the radio and the local newspapers. Uh, and someone finally uh, reported uh, a possible hideout. And that uh, someone was a local Assam policeman who actually ended up regretting his decision. Um, uh, he didn't really know who Perry was. At this point, Perry was not in peak Jungle King form. He was suffering from terrible dysentery and couldn't get food. Uh, he wanted to make it back to I mean, his that's not regular Jungle King form. That's yeah, just- <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, this is a baseline yeah, yeah. dysentery at minimum. Yeah, that's baseline dysentery is normal. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he was a little worried because now, the, like the the reward had been raised like ten thousand rupees. So he's a little bit worried if he did show up at his camp, even though he was technically family. They're like, nothing. It's business, yeah. fella. We're sorry. Right, right, right. He wasn't sure what to do not to mention during that last shootout where Colum got shot in the leg he had been grazed by several bullets which is not a serious wound but when you're stalking through the jungle those get infected pretty quickly so he was pretty sick now yeah. this in, this entire time uh the entire time he'd been living with his naga family he had actually stayed in his army uniform mostly out of comfort but now he had switched over to the clothes of the locals to try to blend in he'd also hacked off his hair with a knife which had grown out over the last like eight months because uh, he wasn't allowed to get a haircut while he was in prison. And I, mean, I can't uh, imagine his regular clothes were in like tip top shape either. You know, definitely like, maybe not. He just wanted to look better and they fucking looked, they had some good shit. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, he wanted to try to pass as a Naga at a distance, but that didn't do him right, any, right. that didn't do any favors because an MP barged into the hut that he was living in with a, with a Naga tribesman. And, uh, he, they noticed when they started like asking questions in English that Perry seemed to understand what they were saying. So hit. <laughs> so his, his cover was blown pretty immediately. Um, when it was clear that the game was you guys, up, uh, you guys pay attention to how the Yankees have been doing. <laughs> and Perry himself finally just shrugged and said, "You got me." Uh, that. The Assam policeman who had ratted him out to Cullum uh, found out now that he was actually facing execution. Uh, and that's when he uh, he regretted it because I guess he was a devout Buddhist. And uh, he said afterwards, it's like, if I knew that he was going to be executed, I wouldn't have told the cops. But yeah, man, a devout Buddhist gets tricked into that shit. God damn. Yeah, that's some bad Dharma, homie. <laughs> right? 
Now, uh, this time Perry was not thrown back into a stockade, but locked into a like a cement prison, uh, so he wouldn't be able to escape again. Again, the army tried to get Perry to admit that he had been getting help while he was on the run, and he still refused to say anything. He even refused to show sympathy for shooting Caddy, saying, in quote, if I hang for it, I'm at least going to hang like a man. Yeah, absolutely. That guy got to go. I'm willing to take it. And listen, you win some, you lose some. I'm willing to bite the bullet on this one. Yeah, like I'm going to get it regardless. Why the fuck am I going to rat on anybody? It's not like if I tell on them, you're not going to kill me. Yeah, and that guy fucking sucked. If that's why, if that's why I'm gonna die, I'm fine with that. I w- yeah. I'm, I'm with him. Yeah. Perry's execution was scheduled for the morning of the fifteenth outside of the Lido stockade. The date was kept a secret due to the possibility of armed soldiers might show up and try to free him. This secrecy even went for Perry, who had no idea that he was going to be led to the gallows until it happened. When Perry was finally led to Leto for the execution, he was uh, put in a convoy of 17 different vehicles of armed MPs with explicit orders that if black soldiers were to ambush the convoy to try to free Perry, their first uh, thing that they did was to turn and uh, summarily execute Perry. That seems excessive. Yeah, yeah. Which, of course, just didn't happen. No, of course not. Why would anybody do that? That's that's a level of paranoia that is itself born out of bigotry. Of right. Just this idea of like, it's not like they're regular military people. Yeah, that's fucking, oh man. I, oh, white people. And even then oh! it's like another form of racism with uh, with like the othering is like, yeah, they're in the army, but they're not in the army. You know, yeah, like we exactly. have to worry about that. Exactly. They would never abide by... Yeah, I know. It's such a fucking fucked up... Oh, man. Yeah. And when Perry got there, he was asked if he had any final requests, and he said he only had one, and that was to write one last letter to his brother. fuck your daughter! (laughs) (laughs) Bring me my tiger! Come on, baby! Uh, he, he, he wrote one last letter to his brother, Aaron, who was ironically undergoing training because he had also been drafted. Oh, of course. He told him to, he told him to not get in trouble like he had and ended the letter with, I love you. Do not respond. Perry walked to his death without flinching. The army chaplain tasked with giving Perry his last religious rites began to cry and Perry had to comfort him saying, quote, don't cry, chaplain. I'm the one that's going. When the guard came forward to put a hood over his head, he refused it, saying he didn't want one. When the executioner said, it's army regulation to use a hood, Perry sarcastically remarked, oh, well, I don't want to break any rules, do I? <laughs> <laughs> like, you got to respect a man who goes out with a bit. You got to respect a man that goes out with a bit. Uh, come on. What are you? I mean, you should you, there should be some sort of weird law that nobody knows about, but like if you get a good laugh right before you're gonna go, they're like, fine, okay. Yeah, Life's you make the, you make the executioner giggle. You get a fucking commutation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got a good bit in there. Come on, what if we we got to see what you come up with next? <laughs> you, every good bit, you get another two weeks. I feel like that's just fair. Get to work on your tight five at the prison cantina. Absolutely. <laughs> now, admittedly. If that were on me when I was first starting out, uh, I'm dead. I'm just straight up dead. No chance. I'm out. <laughs> well, look, look at it this way. We at least would have gotten rid of Joe Rogan and Steven Crowder. <laughs> Ooh, so fast. Real quick. Would have gotten now, rid of him. Would have gotten rid of Gavin McGinnis. All of those guys. Was we he a stand-up? Free. 
Yeah. Oh God, his oh. stand-up. I just knew him as the vice fashion guy. Yep, he was the vice fascist, uh, the vice fashion guy, and he was a shitty stand-up comic first. Outstanding. I did not know. God, I cannot. I mean, conservative comedy in itself is terrible because it all comes down to my pronouns or attack helicopter or whatever. Yeah. No, you you scratch the surface of any any of the conservative pundits and you'll find somebody who tried regular comedy and found out it was hard. That's fucking incredible. God, the idea of Gavin McGinnis as a stand-up comedian makes me laugh uh, enough to make this next part not so sad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bring it home. Land this plane into fucking hell. Now, the army had no trained executioners. Uh, so the men that were assigned to be the executioner for this did not even know how to tie a noose correctly, let alone place one. Uh, because no. in case people didn't know, a noose is supposed to snap your neck, not strangle you. Right, right, right. That's the idea. Yeah. So that didn't happen. Um, Perry strangled to death uh, and they left him hanging for 25 minutes just to be sure that he was dead. Uh Herman Perry was buried only about 100 feet from where Lieutenant Caddy was buried, alone and under a tree, separated by a hedge. Now, if you're wondering how exact, because like if, if someone dies in the military, you get a, a death notice if you're family. Flawny Perry, who is still alive, Herman's mother, uh, received a note in the mail on St. Patrick's Day that read only, quote, Now this, a notice that Herman Perry has died of judicial asphyxiation due to his own misconduct. That was it. What a kind and really like just sympathetic note to send. Now this, your son, we killed him. Great. Good work, guys. Yeah. I and mean, before this, the only thing that uh, she had been made aware of is that he was facing a trial. Like she had no idea. Her- Herman-, Herman Perry's remains were eventually reinterned at the Schofield Barrack Cemetery here in Oahu, Hawaii. Only probably about 30 minutes from where I'm sitting. Um, but uh, in case people are unaware, the way military cemeteries work is if you're executed by the military, you're segregated. And you're kept with other people. You who- just can't fucking win. Like a a good example of this is there's a like a uh, a cemetery for the dishonored in France or Belgium I think it is, and you have to request visitation to go there and they're always denied. So like, now this isn't <laughs> the case for doing? the one in this isn't Why the we, the case for the one in Hawaii. Thankfully, like if if Perry's family wanted to go visit his grave, and they did, they were allowed to. Um, but they also noted that he was buried alongside rapists and murderers. Um, and they fought for years because, like, if you die like that, your body is still the 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 property of the army. So she, right, right. She, it's, yeah, she had to um fight until two thousand seven to have his body reinterred and cremated and brought back to D.C. where it could be buried alongside the rest of his family. That's his last surviving sister named Edna Wilson who finally got that done. Jesus Christ! And that's where he's interned to this day. Um, now as for the road, since you know, I talked about the Lido Road. That's another story that should probably also be wrapped up. It was a total and complete dismal failure. Adjusted for inflation, the project cost over $1 billion, but even that's a bit of a lowball. One of the generals in charge of the project said in 1946 that the project probably cost $1 billion. That's in 1946 money. Adjusted for inflation, that's over $10 billion today. 
Um, but that's not really the true cost. The true cost is the human cost, which we have no idea. Uh, as for Americans, over a thousand men died working on the road. Almost exclusively black men died working on this road. While working on it, uh, this earned the uh, the Lido Road the nickname of the the Man a Mile Road, which is actually but way underestimating the way total under cost it. of human life. Yeah, because the yeah, Man a Mile yeah. Road would be less than five hundred men. You'd give you'd give a million dollars to have a Man a Mile Road compared to this bullshit. Wow. And not to mention that number is only Americans. It does not count the number of Indian, Chinese, and Burmese laborers who died building it. Who Nobody ever bothered to stop and count. Nobody has any idea, but it's expect like people assume it's three times that. Yeah, 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 of course. God damn. And as one final fuck you to this entire thing, with only a few months of the road being completed, most of it is completely destroyed in a monsoon as the jungle slowly retook all of the cleared areas. Today, virtually nothing remains of the Lido Road other than a sign that reads, the Stillwell, the Stillwell Road, and a monument alongside next to it. Man, that's brutal. That's brutal. Now, hey, let me ask you a question. Let me throw this out at you. Because I feel like this is, this is a question that's raised by the very end here. All right. You throw so many human lives at something. Is it more valuable if there's something left? You know, like, is the pyramids more justified because it still exists than this fucking shitty ass road. You know what I'm saying? Um, now I, I'll say that's not justified as much as it's like, um, a place of learning, if you will. Like I've been to Auschwitz, which still exists today. Um, sure. and, and like, it's a, it, it's a place that I cannot recommend that people go enough. Um, because you, you learn something you simply can't learn. You feel something you can't feel somewhere else. So, Maybe the Stillwell Road could exist as a memorial to the people who died there. But that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Now, on the ah, bright damn. side, we do have one thing to lighten the mood before you go, Jordan. And that What's is that? on this show, we do something called Questions from the Legion, where our fans that donate to the show can ask us a, a, a weirdly innocent question that has nothing to do with anything we just talked about, and we answer it on air. Um, that is a very smart way to end your show, the one that almost always ends the saddest that it could. That's kind of why I started <laughs> doing it. I'm like, man, every time I log off, I'm fucking sad. <laughs> smart. <laughs> now, this question comes from our Discord. Uh, if you want to join our Discord, donate a dollar to the show. You get a link on our Patreon, please. Uh, if, if you enjoy what we do here, you know, that's my sales pitch. Um, but. This question is, if you become a supervillain, what kind of Acme Doomsday device are you going to build in your lair? Ooh, man. That's a good question. Because, I mean, the, the immediate answer is, for a child, you know, lasers. Lasers are always the coolest way to solve any problem. Of course. Sharks with now, laser beams on their head. Right, exactly. But as an adult, you find out that steampunk is a better way to solve problems because it's less efficient. And it's more fun. So I would say I would build a sort of inverse steam bomb that would explode or no, it would implode into a tiny little piece of ice. My plan is falling apart there, but I feel <laughs> like there's something to it. How about you? What's your plan? Oh, um, 
Look, if there's one thing that I've learned from the pandemic, and that it, that is, you can make society fall apart if you take toilet paper away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I'm gonna give every. I'm gonna invent um, some kind of atmospheric weapon that doesn't kill anybody. This makes you poop mm-hmm. a lot. This, is, this makes you poop right. a lot, but also kills the trees. Okay. Okay. What is? Is there a certain frequency or like heat the brown wave? note? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, atmospheric yeah, yeah, yeah. brown no, note. No, no, no. Exactly like the brown note, but it eliminates toilet paper instead of makes you shit. So the brown note and the melting toilet paper note in concert would destroy the world. Hell yeah! And I would become king because I'd have all of the toilet paper. Now we figured it out. <laughs> Jordan, thank you so much. I never thought, actually thought I was going to be able to get you on the show and get you trapped in here for three hours of podcasts. Oh, always. always. Which I guess you're used to. That's the length of like one of your podcasts. Um, it's a regular show for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess uh, you can use this uh, uh, spot to plug your show if people aren't already listening to it for some reason. Oh, sure. Uh, the show is Knowledge Fight. Uh, we, my friend, my best friend, and. Uh, Maybe the most, uh, uh, I don't know, some sort of level of brilliant man I've ever met. Dan Friesen talks uh, about Alex Jones, and I uh, do what I did today uh, and uh, laugh at it. So that's what I do. <laughs> and people always ask me questions of like how I research what I research without getting sad. And I truly want to ask Dan the same thing. <laughs> like, I mean, well, you don't want to know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Because like I've I've introduced the show Knowledge Fight to several friends of mine, and they're like, I can't listen to more than like one episode every three weeks because it does too much damage to me. Like having to listen to Alex Jones that much, I'm like, oof, poor Dan. Yeah, you guys should go listen to it. It's legitimately one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, and Jordan, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This was a fantastic, fantastic time and a great show, and you did a fantastic job. Thank you. I promise next time, if you come back, we will not talk about the racist army executing a guy. Uh, isn't that most armies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 actually load bearing. The racism is load bearing. <laughs> yes, that that does make sense. Uh, but everybody, thank you again for listening to the show. If you like what we do here, maybe throw us a dollar or two, or don't. It's 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 your money. Uh, and uh, the show will always be free anyway. So until next time, uh, tame tigers and uh, uh, destroy your officers. <laughs> Nate might have to edit that part out. 